Good morning. We are going to get started. So, good morning and welcome back to week six of Delray Baptist Church Foundations class on finance. My name is Jerry Leung, here to teach you this morning again um, and welcome you and thank you for coming. Uh, so, if you've found yourself here this morning, we are coming upon now our final class in a six-week series on finance and money and how to handle it. It's been a number of really good lessons that I'm going to regularly refer back to as part of uh, the class today. Um, that there's quite a bit of foundational buildup to get to all of this point and so would uh, strongly recommend anyone who has questions about these things to look back at uh, some of the recordings in the earlier weeks um, and or some of the, the um, handouts as well. So before we get started, uh, let me just start us in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for life and new breath. We pray that you would bless our time together. We pray that you would reveal yourself in your word. We pray that you would speak now and help us, Lord, to consider how to follow after you and with regards to our work and our and the money that we earn. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So as I mentioned earlier, because this is week six, we're going to start with a quick review, looking back at many of the things that we've been previously taught. Primarily that money, as it relates to all things, ultimately comes from God. And that orientation of all that we have as being from the Lord and ourselves primarily as stewards of these things, that's going to be our true north that we have to hold on to as we consider any of these things. And in past weeks, as we've had a chance to talk through, there, there was quite a bit taught on on uh, giving. There's quite a bit taught on budgeting. Last week we talked about spending um, and debt as well. So, you know, as you kind of look on your sheet, right, what I brought up last week is that, look, there's a basic mathematical equation that exists, that what you earn plus or minus what you're borrowing or paying down has to equal what you spend, what you give, and or what you save, right? That at the end of the day, the numbers have to add up across this. And so since we've talked about many of these other aspects today, we touch upon our final point, which is earning, right, what you make. And so the primary biblical principle on this point on earning, as we dive in, is that earning, this is in a different word, in a different sense, is, is work. Right? We are working. Um, what we earn is what we receive as wages for our work and our time and effort. We are taking our abilities and converting time into something else, usually money, but sometimes it could be items or other things of value, right? So it's like this black box that converts time and turns it into something, right? And so to that extent, in this topic of earning, it really is about work. And there's quite a good number of resources out there on work. Um, in fact, here at Del Rey, um, we had recently spent 
um, a number of weeks teaching through the gospel at work. And so Brother Dan Mackett had spent many weeks preparing that and teaching through that. Strongly recommend anybody who's interested in it to consider going on the website and looking up uh, that those set of classes because that's going to form an even better foundation for some of the things we'll talk about at the first half. So I'm going to borrow a little bit from that as well. So to that extent, work, we're going to start with our point A, work is a gift from the Lord. Right? And I think that's a really important starting point is to understand that work unto itself is not sinful. Making money unto itself is not sinful. And we are, albeit not materialists, again, as I mentioned last week, we're also not ascetics. We're not Buddhist monks either who claim that all monetary possessions are evil and doing work to create to gain money is evil. We, we do not believe that. The Bible does not say that. And so we're going to go all the way back to the very beginning, to Genesis 2, to understand how work enters this world at the very beginning. So in Genesis 2, let's flip to that passage of scripture. It's very long, so we're not going to read all of Genesis 2. But we need to recognize that here, the Lord creates man, he makes Adam and then of Eve, and he puts them in the garden and gives them a mission, gives them a job. That's one of the first things that happens after man, human beings are created is that they're given work, they're given a job. So can someone read verse 19 on chapter two? right one of his first jobs he exercises dominion and authority over creation right he's giving names to creatures and to plants and to animals right and part of his you know the, the joke of what Adam's job is is over there in uh, verse let's see 15 and 16 verse 15 is actually the, the, the job description, right? The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it, right? So he's a gardener. Well, more than just a gardener. And one of the things that you'll hear about and learn about gospel work is that the fact is that our garden that we tend and each of us are given that are is inclusive of many different spheres of life, Right, so this encompasses work outside of the home, work that earns monetary rewards, as well as to the extent that we have a family that is with us, whether they're parents or children or aunts and other nuclear or extended relatives, we need to care for them. We have relationships, friendships, you know, church membership, lots of other relationships that we have to manage that's actually the full encompassing of the garden that we are now today to tend right and from the beginning we see that the wages for this work is really is, is truly great adam and eve could freely partake of all the good things of the garden right what does verse 16 say 
you may surely eat of every tree of the garden except these two, right? That the rewards of that work are tremendous, full access to all of creation, right? To, to all of the gifts of the kingdom. And additionally, Adam and Eve enjoyed this close fellowship with God, right? You go to chapter three, verse eight, right? And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, right? So from the very get-go, prior to sin entering the world, we see that work is a good gift from God, uncorrupted, that comes with tremendous rewards, tremendous benefits. However, the story doesn't stop there, right? Sin does enter this world. And the corrupting effects are multitude and they directly, directly get called out in the Bible as impacting work, right? And so all we have to do is turn to chapter three and we can see in the pronouncement to Adam what happens, right? So can someone read uh, verse 17 through 19? of chapter 3. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. So you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That's right. So the curse of sin gets pronounced upon work at the very get-go. Right? That the ground is now cursed, and it shall bring forth thorns and thistles. Right? So guess what? Your daily experience, all that we know here today of difficulties, futilities, of office politics, of broken relationships in the domain of work, right? That's normal now, right? That's normal now because of sin. But that doesn't always have to be the case. And then Lord, and one day when the Lord returns, it will not be the case again. But that is where things go wrong and take this right turn, right? Um, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, right? So, again, this is showing us that work is going to be toilsome. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. And so how we earn money is corrupted by sin. And much of the, the heart issues that get tied to it is corrupted by sin. That said, the Lord is the one who gives us these good gifts and our abilities and our skills and our talents to earn things. And the Bible has much to say about working faithfully, working hard, working well, utilizing your gifts and talents and abilities in a God-glorifying manner, right? So without focusing solely on sin, I think it's really important for us as Christians to look backwards, look back towards the beginning, look towards God to identify the fact that work is a good thing that came from God and our abilities to do these good things come from God as well. So can someone turn to Exodus 35, chapter 35, go to verse 30 and 31. This is a bit of a very 
unique little pole. Whoever's got it can just go forth. That's right. So here is the section of Exodus where the Israelites are constructing and building the temple or the tabernacle together. And what we see here is that the Lord, right? God is the one who raised up this man, Bezalel, and filled him with the spirit of God in order for him to have the creativity and the skill and the craftsmanship to be able to lead others in order to do God's work to build the tabernacle, right? It's a very, very clear point and example of that what you are capable of comes from the Lord, right? If you are strong, praise God, it comes from the Lord. If you are bright, praise God, it comes from the Lord, right? If you're artistic, praise God, it comes from the Lord. If you're eloquent, praise God, it comes from the Lord, right? And so in all of these things, this will help to guide us back to that true north, is that all of it comes from God. God owns all of it. So God doesn't just own our money. Part of the reason why he owns our money is that he's the one who gave us the ability to earn that money, right? And so these are all good gifts from God, inclusive of all of our abilities, So last week, as we were talking about um, spending, we referenced the particular parable of the talents, where there are three different servants, each given a different amount of talents. Talent at that time was literally a sum of money. But today, we can actually interpret that to mean not just money itself, but also as we just talked about, our skills, our our abilities, all the things that we are capable of comes from God. Right? And in that parable, the two servants who invested and used those talents well to generate a return for their master are praised and rewarded. And the one who buried that talent, buried that money away to hide it was uh, condemned. Right, And so that we're going to reference that um, particular parable again as we continue to go through these. So, our ability to earn comes from God. And because sin entered the world, the corrupting influences of sin have continued to pull that away from the, the, the original intention of being able to glorify God with our earnings, with our work, right? I don't need to spend very much time for, to explain to everyone what that looks like. Right, You see it in the Bible, you see it in our own lives, you see it in the world around you. Right, There are countless, countless examples of um, the, the selfish ambition of greed that, that, that skews all of these things. In fact, it's basically the, the air that we breathe here today. And when Jesus came, one of the most important things that Jesus came to do was to help teach the people and to take their eyes off of the things of this world to point them to the things of the next world, 
right? That the world that Jesus came into uh, in first century Middle East, Near East, um, was in many ways not all that different from the world we occupy today. And Jesus had much to say about how we earn money and what we should be doing with that. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 33, and consider a little bit of what Jesus is teaching us about how we should be orienting ourselves. It's a long passage, but whoever has it can jump in. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and not the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you... Actually, pause there. Yeah, so it's, it's a really, really long extended section, but all really good stuff, and we're going to come back to reference the next part, right, which is uh, on not being anxious, which is that the Lord Jesus knows our frame. He knows us, right, and so this is why he teaches on these sort of things. As we talked about, work and m earning money, having money, these are not inherently evil things, right, but sin twists them, and it leads to death. And so what Jesus tells us is where your heart lies with regards to money and, and your earnings, right? That is, that's what's most important is the orientation of where that heart is, right? And what does Jesus say about where we should be building treasures for ourselves? In heaven, right? He tells us that do not lay up treasures for yourself here where it can be broken it can be lost, it can be, it can melt away, right? And what will eventually happen is that it will all melt away. Um, a good meditation on that is, as you read, is to go back and read through the book of Ecclesiastes, that it does all melt away. But lay up for yourselves treasures that are in eternity where moths and rust and thieves and dust cannot reach. But Jesus also knows that we are weak and we're poor in spirit on our, by ourselves, right? And that we are going to continue to worry about these things. We're going to continue to stress about these things, right? So can someone read verse 25 through 33? Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these th all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's right. Praise God. Thank you for that. And so this is the gentleness of our Christ, right? Who knows that we need all of these things. And his goal, what he calls us to do is to separate and pull our hearts away from gripping so tightly onto this world, right? And onto money. Because verse 24, it says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And as Jesus is saying this, what he's trying to do is to split apart what sin has intertwined into that good gift of God that we talked about back in Genesis 2. Right? And he's trying to bring redemption back into what work should look like and what earning money should look like prior to sin. So it is okay to earn money if you can pull out and, and not worship it right, and worship the Lord. Right? Because what does he want us to do with all of it? He wants us to recognize that no matter how much you earn, how much you have, the thing of true supreme wealth is Jesus himself, right? And the things that will last forever actually are the things that are most worthwhile. So can someone turn to Matthew 13, verse 44 through 46? earthly worldly language to help us to see that money's not the problem right you just have to properly value things right what is actually what is it worth and he's trying to explain to you that the kingdom of heaven that he himself is worth great treasure greater treasure than you would ever know right and so he's not saying don't work he's not saying money's evil he's saying actually what I came to do, this kingdom of heaven that's coming, is worth more than any gold, anything that you will ever earn in your entire lifetime, right? So let's keep moving that direction. And so we're not any different today than they were back then. And these warnings regarding earning and money come from Jesus, you know, ring true even today, right? So let's turn to Mark 10, verse 17 through 27, and just see one of these warnings in particular. So it's a bit of a long story, but it's a really good one. Whoever's got it, just go. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Thank you, brother. Right, and this is a famous story that I think captures what we were talking about really well, right? That this rich young man, this rich young ruler, his sin wasn't that he was rich. His sin was that when asked to let go of his wealth, he was disheartened and is sorrowful, sorrowful and he walked away from Jesus, right? And so this goes back to what we were saying is this deep intertwining of our sin with the wealth but learning and, 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 and turning to Jesus to be able to try and let go of these things is what's going to end up freeing us but this is the warning regarding money that unto itself it's not bad but as Jesus says how difficult is it right it is harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle because with man by, our, by ourselves in our own strength it would be impossible what is the only way that it would be possible for us to do so? God. But with God, all things are possible, right? And so this comes where the Holy Spirit and the conviction and of the Holy Spirit's salvation from Jesus this is what ultimately changes us. Yes? Any thoughts you have on um, discipling people who have a lot of wealth um, Is that, are you referring to a non-Christian or are you referring to a Christian? Both. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> I would say with someone who's a non-Christian, right, you, I think there are a number of different avenues with which to approach them. You know, it doesn't o only have to be regarding their wealth or regarding their money. 
you know, and you can see here that with this rich, with this story of the rich young man, he actually came to Jesus looking for self-justification, right? Like he came and said, basically said, look, Lord, I'm perfect in all of these other ways, right? Am I doing well? Like he was looking for the pat on the back, you know? And so I think, and Jesus particularly targets his, his love of money because it's the thing that stood out the most, right? So with your particular person, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be the entry point of, you know, what you would, what you would point to as a sin struggle, right? Or maybe not the first, right? I think in, if they were a Christian, then within the concept, within the content of broader discipleship, you know, you can start um, addressing that probably within the context of some of those other things we talked about, you know, in um, previous classes regarding giving, right? And regarding how, you know, how we spend our time and spend our lives, right? Sorry, yes? I was going to say, I mean, reading this passage, it doesn't seem to me that he's justifying himself. He, he comes to Jesus, he's troubled. He said, Lord, I, I know I'm missing something. Tell me what I'm missing. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't think just simply that he's, he's going to Jesus for a ferment is, is in line with how this is. Clearly, he doesn't like the answer when Jesus gives him the answer, and that I, I think kind of gets to the point, but he realizes something's not right. Yeah. Yes. I was just going to ex extend on what she asked. Um, on the flip side, with with a believer yeah. that may be financially insecure, yeah, and then constantly worried yeah. about that, can you speak to how to navigate? Um, yeah. Discipleship. Yeah, that's a really great question as well. Um, so on the flip side, the Bible's full of plenty of um, scriptural examples of how the Lord loves his people, especially those in humble situations, right? So we can kind of go throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament of how God provides for his people in all sorts of circumstances. And whether you have a lot or a little, right, when you have... Um, that remains to be true. For those who have a little, they face that particular test, you know, much more clearly. They're on the pointy end of that stick, right? But whether it's the, you know, Jesus praising the widow who, who gives her two mites, you know, or whether it's the provision, you know, of the saints throughout all of Acts, which we're going to get to if we don't run out of time, right? That, um, there, there's much scripture to be held about trusting and depending. In fact, what we just read a little bit earlier of do not be anxious in Matthew, I think would be an excellent starting point. Yes. Yeah, if I can just probably connect these two. So, so Jesus is really, he's getting at the heart behind whether it's a Christian or non-Christian, whether it's rich young or it's Christian or non-Christian. He's getting really directly at the heart of the, the greatest commandment is to love, love the Lord your God and love your personal lives, right? And, and really what was evidence in that is that the rich young ruler was not willing to do that. He was not willing to love the Lord his God. And the reality is that none of us in this room love the Lord, love, love the Lord our God with all our personal lives, right? And so the difference between Christian and non-Christian is, okay, Christian is going to say, yes, I recognize that. I look to Jesus um, for my salvation. And a non-Christian is going to be like, yeah, I, I, 
I'm just going to continue following my ways. And so really in the, in this, the same kind of direction of loving the Lord our God with all of our soul and mind strength is the same regardless of, of, of where the person stands monetarily or even whether they're Christian or non-Christian. Christian is just going to look to, to, to Jesus at for um, yeah, when, when they recognize that it's not yeah, yeah, amen. Thank you. That was a great summary. You know, and maybe one last verse to help for you is what we're, is um, our next one in Matthew sixteen twenty six, and I'll just read it for time's sake. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Right. So, with all of these warnings, how <laughs> how does that apply to us? What are we to do then? Right? Is it just only uh, fear and only, is there only things that we should be concerned about? No. In fact, we have to work, we have to live, we have to try and do our best to live faithfully as Christians in this world. And so what are we supposed to do? Well, first, our work should be in a God-glorifying manner. That is both inclusive of the type of work that we do and then how we go about doing it. So a couple of ways to, that this does not look right. So we're gonna go start with that and then we'll go to the, the, the wide open aspect. So basically just about all non-ministry work done well can be God glorifying. And, and our job is to pray for wisdom to see how our work conforms to the character of God as revealed in Jesus. So an example of work that is not good um, let's go turn to Acts chapter 19, verse 18 through 19. Whoever has it can just go. Also, many of those who were not believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them at the side of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Right, so Paul's in Ephesus. They can, um, miracles of God are performed. People are saved, and as an aspect of their salvation, some of these people who are practicing magic arts, right? They were convicted in their hearts of what they were doing as being sinful and wrong, right? And they actually burned those books. 50,000 pieces of silver was the, the value of it, right? They made, they repented of their sin. So there is work that is not godly and that we should avoid, right? So just an example of that. But there's plenty, plenty, plenty. Basically, the vast majority of work is going to be fine, right? But we can also do it wrong. In fact, you know, scripture, especially the Old Testament, is filled with. Um, commands to not cheat one another, right? To not have different weights and to, and to honor God in our commercial transactions, right? And so, you know, your basic work done sinfully is also, right, what we should avoid. So when we go to Luke chapter 3, verse 12 through 14, this is John the Baptist kind of specifically addressing a couple examples of it. Tax 
collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you're authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. Yeah. So we can sin in the way we earn, in the way we work, even if we're just following you know, general customs of the day, right? By if the way we go about doing it is immoral and not conforming to the character of God, right? But tax collectors do need to exist, right? They, it's a, it is a real job, not inherently sinful unto itself. Being a soldier is inherently fine. <laughs> it's not sinful unto itself. But if you abuse your power, right, extort, you know, commit extortion, right, that's the sort of misbehavior that is prohibited. All right, putting those things aside, the joy that we have is there's wide freedom in how we can exercise our God-given gifts and abilities to earn money for the glory of God, right? So this is like going back to Genesis 2, right, which is you have this massively wide garden. Enjoy all of these fruits. Avoid these little things, these two things here, but otherwise it's wide open. And that's the truth about our work and the skills that God has given us, right? Just think about our church here today, right? Today, we have members here who are teachers or nurses or salesmen, doctors, dentists, lawyers, government officials, engineers, barbers, congressional staff, military officers or enlisted, students, professors, entrepreneurs, missionaries, inventors, consultants, managers. I could go on, right? And I have specific individuals in mind for every, every, um, every job that I listed, right? This is the wide and beautiful diversity that the Lord has blessed his people with, right? And we should rejoice in being able to do that. Biblically, it's the same thing, right? If you go, if we, I'm not gonna make you guys flip through and read these verses, but you know, Mark 117, we see Simon and Andrew, they were fishermen, right? <laughs> the majority of the disciples were originally fishermen, right? Mark 6.3, Jesus was a carpenter, right? It lists that that's what he was doing. And for the vast majority of his adult life, that's what he did with his time. That's what he did. He earned a living being a carpenter, you know? Acts 18.3, Paul worked part-time as a tent maker. And prior to that, he was pretty much a professional student for most of his life, right? So he's a Pharisee. So the verse that does matter is Colossians 3.23. Okay. Who ha whoever has that, read that. It's a very sweet, important verse. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. That's right. Whatever you do, work just as... Ben had mentioned earlier, right? Love the Lord with all your strength, with all your soul, with all your might, and do so in your work, in the wide, vast array of available work that God has blessed you with the gifts and the talents to pursue. So a couple of specific applications, because I listed a whole bunch of jobs that are, you know, out in the marketplace jobs, right? But that's not applicable to everybody. So first, for young people or for folks who are currently students, 
right? That is a job. It's work. It really is. It, I just mentioned Paul was a professional student for most of his life, right? Your job is to study hard and to excel at your schoolwork, right? What you are doing is building a foundation, adding things into your backpack to maximize your future potential for earning, right? You are building yourself up. That is perfectly valid and that, 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 that is your way of working heartily unto the Lord, is to excel at being a student at the moment. And one day that ends and then you're gonna have to go work and put that to use. So enjoy the time of only being a student. Number two, um, homemakers. So my, my wife is one of, would fall into this category. So I do not have sufficient time to do justice to this topic. And so I'm going to focus on one primary point, which is it, women who stay at home raising families, it is a valuable and legitimate profession. That's like the single major point I'm going to make. And we know this to be true because the clear evidence is in the value of the cost of trying to buy those services in the marketplace. Childcare, daycare is ludicrously expensive, right? Meal services, whether you are ordering out from restaurants or even ordering prepackaged meal services, laundry services, tutoring services, home cleaning services, and the list goes on, right? Those sort of things that women who, or, or men who stay at home and care for the home and care for family that they do, like is extremely expensive to go do in a different context, right? If you have to go pay for it outside, that it gives you a proper sense, financially speaking, of why it is value and why it is fully legitimate. And honestly, widespread female workforce participation is relatively new within the context of human history. And so this dichotomy of trying to earn a living outside the home versus inside the home is, is strange and new, right? That historically speaking, most of the human population were farmers, it was very agrarian, and in fact, then the whole family, right? Husband, wife, and many, many kids participated in that endeavor, in the earning potential, either of the primary work of like farming or like ancillary work or ancillary things, right? Like weaving or, you know, churning, you know, there's all sorts of like ancillary side businesses, right? So those sort of things still exist today, right? And I'm not the expert to go talk to about this sort of stuff, but the Bible specifically even references it, right? Proverbs 31 is kind of the most common refrain regarding you know women and like you know in the midst of it you see that she puts her hand to the distaff her hand holds a spindle she considers a field and buys it with the fruit of her hands she plants a vineyard right so the the point being is that exercising dominion over the home you know is extremely valuable and there's a wide array of opportunities to, for entrepreneurship you know, even within that context, whether you ever, you know, work for a corporation outside or not, right? And so it's just to encourage people that, you know, there's a lot of freedom, there's a lot of openness to that as well. What about older folks or retired folks, right? So again, 
will not have sufficient time to do justice topic. But I think the main point I want to make here is that the American vision of a self-absorbed and self-indulgent retirement at the age of 55, it's unbiblical. Right? Human beings today are living far longer and healthier lives than, than ever before. And should, we should seek to maximize the Lord's gifts to us every single day that we have breath. Right? So some great examples of this. As we just mentioned this, childcare is super expensive. Right? I've got, you know, in Washington, D.C., if you're going to go do a daycare for below three years old, like it is thousands of dollars a month. You know, it's so expensive. Being able to help provide cheap or free childcare, you know, either during the work day or even just after school for working families is absolutely invaluable. You know, I personally experienced this growing up because I was a latchkey child um, and my grandparents had lived with us for some period of time and they were able to help take care of me when, you know, in the afternoons while my parents were still working. Like that was an invaluable um, uh, contribution on their part that albeit unpaid and doesn't register as a W-2 income, like that's super, super valuable. At our old church, um, at a different church we were at, uh, we knew a family that started second careers as missionaries after the husband retired. They were sent by the IMB to Turkey and opened a bookstore there uh, to, in order to help provide cover to do their mission work. And they were had this unique set of experiences and a situation where as an older couple without young children to have to raise in a difficult closed country, they were absolutely invaluable. You know, they, they were completely different than, let's say, a single man out there on the mission field or a single woman. Like, you know, just them being a married couple opened up doors as missionaries that like were closed to so many others. Right. So the point being is that there's, again, this wide, vast ocean of array of ways we can utilize our God-given abilities, skills, talents for his glory, you know, in all these kind of other contexts as well, beyond just like a marketplace job. Okay, pause there real quick for any other questions before we jump to the second piece. Okay. Good. I'm just going to fly through. We're a little bit behind schedule. <laughs> okay. So going back to the first equation we talked about. Now we've talked about earning. We talked about borrowing last week. Talked about spending last week. Talked about giving a couple weeks ago. Now we're down to saving investing. Right. So saving investing. This is what you have left after you've done all these other things. I'm putting these two together because generally speaking, investing is relatively similar to savings, um, you'd have to reach a relatively high level of asset accumulation for kind of investments to, you know, particular investments to really make a difference. So for all intents and purposes, we're going to talk about it as one thing and I'll address nuances at the very end. Okay. So the first, first thing that comes from uh, Jesus about this are warnings, because again, sin enters and twists our heart's desires regarding our money. And so the tendency is to like the warning previously of 
not serving two masters is to make a master or make an idol, make something that we lean on our gold pile, right? So there's warning against hoarding. So can we turn to Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to through 21? God who gives the rain. It's God who gives the harvest, right? So it's not like it was sin that his fields produced excess, right? That's not the problem. It's not the problem that, you know, he had a bumper crop, right? The problem is his heart's posture, right? Which is, goes back to what he said earlier, take care to be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions, right? So it's the mentality, the heart posture of hoarding and depending on what we have, right? Where he said, I can soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years, right? That was what he's sitting on. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. All right, um, another example of this that Jesus it's a great, another great one. Luke 16, 19 through 31. Father's house, where I have five brothers, 
so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So, in this parable, it's not that... It's not that having riches alone condemns you to hell. And it's not that being homeless and being a beggar alone would bring you to heaven, right? This is a parable. We just talked about, we just preached, heard preaching here on Job, right? Who was rich at the beginning and God restored his riches at the end, right? So this isn't an upside down world where, you know, having wealth alone is the problem. But this is a profound warning, right? That a heart that is not generous towards God and a heart that depends on and rests on the self-indulgence, self-independence upon our wealth, upon our money, upon our savings and our investments is bound for disaster. And it goes back to what Jesus said that how hard it is for a rich man to enter heaven. Right, because it's so hard not to serve two masters. Right, it's so hard to not serve that master. That said, again, money alone is not sinful, and saving, and and being able to consolidate good funds is not sinful. Remember, last week we just talked extensively about debt and about not incurring debt if not necessary, right? So if we were to not incur debt, then how were we ever to buy large items? How do we ever buy a car? How do you ever buy a, a house if you also don't save, right? And so again, there's not a prohibition against saving and building up resources that expand over time. In fact, it's absolutely necessary to avoid to avoid the sin trap that debt can become, right? But taken to the extreme, like all things taken to the extreme, right, will careen us off that cliff and into uh, these pits that Jesus is warning against. A couple examples to emulate from the Bible. We're, not, we're running out of time, so we're not going to read all of these, so I'm going to summarize them relatively quickly, right? So where these were parables in Luke 19, 1 through 10, this is actual person. This actually happened. There was a chief tax collector named Zacchaeus who humiliated, humbled himself to this because he desired to see Jesus. And his heart was so moved and he was so convicted by, by Jesus that his response to, to, to Jesus regarding his money was in verse 8, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Right, and then he hosted Jesus and had him, you know, for a meal. Right, so, you know, this is one who utilized their wealth well after they were convicted, after they were saved. Barnabas in Acts four thirty six through thirty seven. This is where, you know, post mass conversion. The new disciples, the new converts were all living together. And Barnabas was amongst those who had 
lands and fields and homes to sell and he sold one of his properties and gave the proceeds to um, the apostles to be able to be shared with by definition right he had land to sell right he was able to sufficiently accumulate assets to have that so it's not wrong unto itself Acts 16 so Lydia is um, a, a, a woman a female um, a relatively wealthy female um, merchant who traded in purple cloth it's very very expensive purple cloth was primarily reserved for royals extremely difficult process of crushing snails in order to dye clothing anyway point is that she hosted Paul right here it says one of us one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul after she was baptized in her household as well she urged us saying if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord come to my house and stay and she prevailed upon us Right, so in her, with her wealth, right, she hosted Paul, almost certainly helped send Paul later on, and unspoken here, but you know, most certainly it was the case is that you know became an anchor for building up the church of Philippi, right? So helped to financially support that church. In addition, you see that in the churches themselves. In 2 Corinthians 8, we hear Paul praise the Macedonian churches for giving out of their poverty, right? And so another example of whether you have much or little utilizing your wealth well. All right, I'm going to have to fly because we're really short on time. But these last couple of points are should be helpful ways to apply this aspect of savings and investing. So this goes to what we mentioned earlier, which is that the today our garden that we are called to we are called to oversee encompasses beyond just work itself in the marketplace, right? It encompasses all these different things. And so holistically we should think about savings and investing as not just putting money into stocks or bonds or Bitcoin, but investing into things that last. All right, so number one, invest in people. Spending money on discipleship is worthwhile because souls last forever, right? Great examples of just being open-handed to have host meals, to take, you know, if you're discipling someone, to take them out for coffee or for lunch, right? There's countless, countless examples of this happening here at this church where people have come and been saved and families and others have just poured into them, supporting church plants, pastors and missionaries supporting fellow church members who are in financial need I've seen so many wonderful examples here of people doing that on their own for uh, on their own for older or younger there's I'm happy to talk privately to give people examples of that and as a as church itself we support that by having deacons of both member care and deacons of community care dedicated for these sort of purposes. Number two, invest in family. Again, things that last. Time with the people you love is precious and just disappears. For married folk, invest in date nights with your spouse, getting childcare help, vacations or staycations with the family, 
as we mentioned before, for those who are older, right, living, intergener living intergenerationally has tremendous benefits. Right? Raising children in the fear and admonition of the Lord is evangelism on the highest order. Right? That's investing into people. Number three, invest in yourself. Sleep and rest. Take care of your body. It's God's temple and gift to you. Learn new skills. Spend money to do that. Sharpen existing ones. Grow the talents the Lord has given to you. Number three, focus on personal spiritual growth. 1 Timothy 4.8 says, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Right? So spending money to go to a conference, spending money to go on retreats, that's really good investment, right? Number four, invest in property. Okay, so this is not a blanket command, but it's just to actually point out that there is tremendous strategic value in certain things. And as we saw with Lydia, right, sometimes property, homes, not just land, right, can have tremendous strategic great examples here at our congregation of people with larger homes that are able to either rent out or even allow you know other members to live in separate basement units or other parts of their space right having this space to be able to host a community group to host outreach events even hosting a house church right that has tremendous strategic value so and again just something that lasts um Finally, there's lots of like tips and advice and trade-offs we can go into. I'm going to go pretty quickly on some of this stuff, but you can reach out to me directly to, you know, for any unique questions. Look back towards the budget class um, and giving classes for advice. There's just a lot more time dedicated to that. If you saving and investing is kind of the opposite of borrowing, and so in many cases, just like you know, paying off debt is actually quite similar. You want to take advantage of forced savings plan just on a budgeting basis, 401ks, 4013bs, especially if there's matching available, right? Becomes a good way to force yourself to save. Um, a little bit saved over a very long bit of time, right? Just a little bit invested over a long time has tremendous benefit, right? Compound interest is one of the miracles of uh, time. Um, paying off debt is generally better than saving. It's a question I get a lot on individually. So especially high interest rate consumer debt is really good to pay off first. So the question is, should I save some money or should I go pay off my credit card debt? Generally speaking, the answer is go pay off your credit card debt, right? So you wanna attack the things with very high interest first. And then afterwards you wanna build up a small emergency fund to help handle bu the, the buffets of life and to avoid having to incur consumer debt when that you know something bad happens and then eventually go pay off kind of longer term debt with lower interest like student loans or a mortgage or things like that in fact if it is just a mortgage frequently i would advise save more rather than paying off that mortgage but that's not that's not that's a matter of practicality um you want to ultimately consider time horizon, right? So like how long do you have before you need the money? And 
your personal risk appetite. You know, how you, how do you feel about the possibility of losing, you know, if you're making decisions with a spouse, you know, talk through it, talking through it with them. Right, but th those are kind of, you know, specific like tips and tricks and things like that. In conclusion, this is all just another area of our Christian discipleship that we will strive a lifetime to grow in. We're going to fail. We're going to need to repent. We're going to have to get up and try again. And the best way to do all of this is with humility, with prayer, and by walking along together with others in a local church. So you're going to get help from folks. So that's all we got for today. And thank you all for coming to this class.